0: And Pentecost is uh, the day in church history when the Holy Spirit uh, came to dwell within the church. Where God, Jesus was crucified, raised, ascended into heaven, and then God sent his Holy Spirit 50 days after the resurrection. Uh, and we celebrate that today. Uh, so this is, we're going to start this little series here at Sanctuary about the Holy Spirit called Presence and Power for the next um, portion of the summer so you might you might have heard about the holy spirit right uh growing up might have heard about it god is kind of three father son holy spirit uh he kind of flickers in and out of the old testament kind of like a ghost um in the new testament he's this mysterious force that gives ordinary people like you and me the power of god living within them he appears throughout the bible all throughout the bible as wind as smoke as fire even a dove um but the question we're asking in this series is, "What does the Holy Spirit look like today? What does it look like now?" So in this in this series, um, we're gonna we're gonna learn about the mysterious, empowering, life-giving, uh, personal force—the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Uh, today we have a guest preacher. His name is Keith, um, and Keith is a church planter here in Providence. He's planted a couple churches—one in California, another two in California, different places. Um, he. Yeah, and he uh, he goes around assessing, training, equipping other churches and other church planters. Uh, but more exciting than that is uh, he loves his family. He's been married to Tafita. I said it right, right? Tafita for 15 years. They have three sons, and they're here today. Uh, and Keith is going to come up in a minute and share. So we're we're pretty excited that he's with us um, in place of Andrew this morning. And the last thing before uh, I stop talking and invite him up, I'm, we're gonna, we usually read the word. Uh, so I'm going to invite everyone to stand up as an act of kind of reverence for the scripture. Uh, and usually we have like one scripture, it's really short, and then everyone says thanks be to God. But today we are going to read uh, the entire account of Pentecost. So get comfortable. Yeah, it's on, the, it's on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can. Or you can kind of just like close your eyes and zone out and just listen to it. I don't have like a super amazing storytelling voice, but I will try my best. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, (laughs) Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In those last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And Peter continues, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, but my body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter continues, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he, would one, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and pleaded them save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Good job. You guys did it. Uh, God, thank you uh, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you uh, that you uh, you have Come to dwell with us in this uh, deep, intimate, indwelling way that gives ordinary folks like us the power of God. God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open us up today as we learn um, and experience your spirit. God, I pray for Keith as he speaks. um, Yeah, would his words be your words, and would you apply them to our lives in a way that uh, renders us transformed? In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Thank
1: you. All right, good morning everyone, how are you? Yeah, good. Not used to having a handheld mic and I'm from Long Beach, California. So if I hold it like an MC and bring it up and just start waving my hand, it's because we have a lot of rappers from Long Beach and I could be one of them. Um, Well, my name is Keith. Uh, My family and I, we moved out here in September. Uh, We come from Long Beach, California, like I said earlier, uh, where basically we spent our entire lives in about a five-mile radius, until we felt the Lord say, go to Providence. And so we listened to the Lord. We've never been here to Rhode Island, never been to Providence, never been in the neighborhood that we now live in, um, but God kind of works all things together uh, for his purpose and for his glory, and so we're here. Um, Back in California, we planted a couple churches, uh, one in Long Beach, one in a city next to Long Beach called Bellflower, California, uh, before we received the call from the Lord to come on out here. Uh, A couple other things. My wife is awesome. She's sitting back there in that awesome red little flannel thing, short, dark hair. We just celebrated 15 years of marriage a couple weeks ago. Not bad, huh? We made it! Uh, and we've got three boys who are uh, running around downstairs having fun. So um, I was able to eat, eat. I didn't eat Andrew. I met Andrew. That's, he's he, Trust me, he's somewhere else. I didn't actually eat him. Um, <clears throat> but I met him uh, back in the fall when we were uh, feeling the sense of call to come out here. Um, I started emailing a few local pastors, and he was one of the guys that uh, just extended the hand of friendship and hey uh, And <laughs> it's been great just to get to know him and uh, hear his heart and his love, his deep, deep love uh, for you, Sanctuary Church, and for this city here in Providence. So it's been an incredible, uh, encouraging relationship to, to be a part of. So it's a privilege to be able to be here and hang out amongst brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Um, So today we are celebrating Pentecost. So happy birthday, church. This is a birthday party. Uh, It symbolizes the kickoff, the start of the church that's historic. Um, This weekend we're celebrating and remembering uh, Memorial Day, right? Those who laid their life down for our our country and paid um, the ultimate price for our freedom. Um, And in the same way, it's kind of cool that we're celebrating Pentecost because uh, we're celebrating uh, the life of Christ who laid his life down Uh, for his bride, so that we could have freedom that only comes from him. So what's remarkable, we're going to spend a lot of time here in Acts 2 in a little bit, but if you go back to the book of John in chapter uh, 16, what you'll see here is Jesus at the height of his ministry, right? He had just um, did the triumphal march into Jerusalem. People are throwing down their palm branches. They're worshiping him. They're, they're calling him king. They're celebrating him. And then Jesus says something to his disciples that's quite remarkable. He says this in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not... Um, for i do not go away if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment so at the height of his ministry when everybody's excited for him and what he's going to do and where he's going next and he's going to topple the roman government and he's going to restore israel to its rightful place he says, hey, guys, it's better that I go. I'm out of here. I'm sending you the helper. right? Oftentimes, uh, we associate the helper, the Holy Spirit, with uh, someone who's he's the comforter. right? He wipes away the tears. He cheers us up when we're down. But this word is so much stronger than just comforter. It means power and strength. I was just speaking to uh, the worship team earlier and had this confirmed by them. The word is forte, right? And, and in music, when you read music, you'll see a, a, an F or a, a double F, and it means you play that chord with power and strength and with conviction. And that's what he's saying is, I'm sending you the helper. It's better that I go. Well, why is that? We read later on in John chapter 17. Do you know Jesus made his mission accomplished statement Right For all of those that remember uh, Bush and the Iraq War, that Mission Accomplished banner on the aircraft carrier. You know, Jesus made his Mission Accomplished statement before he died on the cross. And here's what he says in John chapter 17, verse 4. He's praying to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He hasn't even died yet. He hasn't even conquered death and rose from the dead And he says, I've accomplished everything, Father, that you've asked me to do. That's the the, it is finished statement right there, to a certain extent. Well, what does he mean by that? What was his mission? What was he setting out to accomplish? Well, we're celebrating that here today. He was setting out to accomplish the renewal of all things through making disciples and preparing them for mission. And he turns to these disciples, these bunch of nobodies that he turned into somebodies. Because that's what the gospel does. And he says, you guys are now ready to continue in my work. To continue in my mission. And what I'm doing here, I'm just one person filled with the power of the Spirit to do great things. But I'm going to multiply what I'm doing and make a new movement. Because I'm renewing all things. And so if we're really going to understand Pentecost, then we need to understand what the narrative of Scripture is all about. What was God doing to begin with? Why did he create us? Why are we here? Why are you sitting in pews on a Sunday morning on Memorial Day weekend when it's beautiful outside? Right? If this was back home, we would be uh, ditching church, let's just say, to go surfing. I mean, not me, of course not. I am self-righteous, and I never miss church. But when when we understand what the story of God is and how we fit into his story, Pentecost now makes sense. So let's go back to the beginning. Genesis, God creates. He's artistic, right? This is why we love art. We look around and we see beauty in art because it images who God is. God is an artist. He prophetically spoke things into existence. He creates everything that we see, everything that we enjoy, and he creates his prized possession, man and woman. And he looks at all of that and he says, this is very, very good. Right? And the first thing in the, in the world that wasn't good was What? Was it sin? No. Before sin entered the world, there was something that wasn't good. That man was alone. So what did he do? He created a helper. Right? We love that word. We love how a member, the third member of the Trinity is named a helper. It gives dignity. Women, you are equal. You are good. You are co-heirs to the kingdom of God. And so he creates man and woman. He creates community Why? Because God himself is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a perfect community. They love one another. They submit to one another, right? Jesus, I'm not here to do my will, but the will of the Father. I'm sending you someone better better than me. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He'll be your power. So they yield. They submit. So submission is a good word. It's not a bad word. They love. They're humble. They cheer each other on. And that community created a new community. Man and woman. And we see in Genesis chapter 3... That God wasn't distant from his creation, but God was present with his creation in the garden, right? Because you see in Genesis chapter 3, it says that God was walking in the cool of the garden. His presence was there. He was there. He enjoyed his creation and and was with his creation. He dwelled. That's the key word for this morning. Every time I say "dwell," there's going to be music and little Muppets are going to start cheering. He is dwelling with his people. And then what happens after that? We, his creation, can never hold up to his standards and we fall and we rebel and we sin against him. And so God, in his justice, expels sin away from him, but in his mercy, he clothes his creation and he doesn't abandon them. The first thing he declares when sin enters into the world is what? I'm sending my son Jesus. Through you, Eve, one will come and the serpent will bruise his heel, but my son will crush his head. And then what does he do? He puts an angel in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve are exiled out of there. With a flaming sword. We're going to talk about the significance of fire throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Saying that the dwelling place, that close intimacy that was once enjoyed in the garden, now there's a separation from that. And so that's how the story begins. Well, how does the story end? You can turn to Revelation. Let's look at the very end, chapter 21. We get the image of what heaven looks like. A lot of us have a very um, misunderstood impression of what heaven really is. We oftentimes think of heaven as we're all going to be like fat little babies smoking cigar on the cloud playing a harp up in the sky somewhere. doesn't quite make sense, right? It's this place that's somewhere behind Saturn. And what the Bible tells us, it gives us a beautiful description here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. This is the end of our creation that we're living in now. And John says this, being filled with the Spirit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You know, really quick, seas, a lot of people think, oh, there's nothing like me in the ocean in heaven. Well, seas always represented turmoil and strife. And destruction and I saw the I saw the holy I saw the holy city a New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying behold the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is coming back. And he's bringing heaven with them. Why? Because he will be dwelling with us for eternity. When you die now, you will go to be absent from the body as to be present with the Lord. You will go and be with God. But at the end of all things, heaven will descend here on the earth and it will become a new earth and a new creation where we will enjoy the presence of God forever. And so you see two common themes. At the beginning of creation, God dwelling with man. At the end of creation, God dwelling with man. Well, what's this whole middle part about then? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve are now out of the garden. God in his mercy and his compassion and his love remains their God and walks with them. He's even merciful to Cain who kills his brother, right? He puts a mark upon him so that nobody would harm him. Merciful. We serve a very merciful God. So what does he do? We see throughout the Old Testament God inviting and welcoming his people into relationship with him. And while God is faithful and pure in his end of the covenant, we are never faithful in our end of the covenant. Right? So you look at Genesis chapter 6. He looks down and sees evil continually upon the earth. Not a good thing. Right? But who found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Noah. Was it something he was doing? No. The first thing was, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and as a result, he faithfully walked with him. That's how the gospel works. God gives us his grace. We walk with him. God destroys the earth. He's going to start afresh and start anew with Noah and his family. Kind of cool, right, if you're Noah and the family? Man, it's a pretty loving thing. So how does Noah say thank you to God? What's the first thing he does when he gets off the boat? Anyone remember? He got drunk and passed out naked in front of his kid. Thanks, God. Right, so what does God do? God continues in relationship with his people. He didn't destroy the earth right after that. He knows what's going on. He knows the bigger picture. He knows the plan. He knows that Jesus was never plan B. He's always plan A. So then God calls Abram out from his people. He chose him. He said, you're going to be a father of many nations. I will give you my blessing. I will give you my covenant. I will be your God. Your people will be my people. So what does Abraham do after that? Remember? He tried to pimp out his wife twice. We continue to fail. Who comes next on the scene after Abraham? We got Moses, right? God's people were enslaved in Egypt because they were mighty in number, and it was a threat to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh enslaved God's people. And Pentecost is a direct relationship here with what happened at the Passover in Egypt. And when God gave the law, so we're going to spend a little time there. So God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God, in his love for his people, made a rescue plan. Sent ten plagues to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says no to all of them except for the last one when he finally says, Go. Just get out of here. You've, your God has destroyed everything in my land. And he's killed all the firstborn. And he's given you mercy. Right, because if the Israelites, if they put the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts, their house will be saved; their firstborn sons will be saved. Right, it's foreshadowing of Jesus, the pure and spotless, perfect lamb, whose blood saves us and covers us from the judgment of God. And so God delivers His people out of Egypt, Pharaoh, right, who represents you know Satan, sin, and death, and hell and the wrath of God and the judgment was crushed by the power of God. God delivered his people. His people were wandering out. You go all the way out to uh, Mount Sinai now, God, God is going to give his people his law, his good and perfect and holy law, that if they live out this law, live out his commands, his ways, they would be just and righteous in his sight. And what happens? Moses receives the law. He walks down Mount Sinai. And what does he hear going on? Kind of like this. Here's a party, right? There's music being played. Tacos, you know. People are drinking. People are drunk. And Moses loses his mind. What does he do? He slams down the tablets. So God's got to write some new ones. But what happened that day? The law was given. And the law, what Paul says, brings about death. Why? Because who in this room can perfectly live out the law of God? No one. Christ and Christ alone. He is our advocate. And so on that day, which was Pentecost... About 50 days after the Passover, when Israel was delivered, they were given the law. The law was given, and that day, 3,000 men were killed by God. Failing to live up to his standards and to his ways. And so you see this imagery all throughout the Old Testament. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19... Verse 18 through 20. This is Moses getting ready to go up to Mount Sinai. It says, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. This imagery of God, fire throughout the Old Testament, representing God, representing his justice. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Not everybody could be on that mountain with the Lord, dwelling with him. The fire would consume them. Because no one is clean. No one is perfect. No one is worthy to be in the presence of God with their sin. You fast forward in Exodus chapter 40. You see the glory of the Lord resting in the tabernacle. When the glory of the Lord was in the tabernacle, you weren't allowed to be in it. Why? Because the fire would consume you. Who is worthy to stand in the presence of God? Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys wherever the whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the people of Israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Who is worthy to stand before the Lord? Who is worthy to be in his presence apart from Christ? No one. This is why there's so much death and destruction and bloodshed in the Old Testament because the Redeemer had not come. This is why the people of God hoped and longed for the Messiah, the once and final sacrifice for sins. And so we see that in Jesus when he comes on the scene, John chapter 1 John the Baptist says this, and the word, Jesus, became flesh, and he, our key word, dwelt. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here he is. God is returning to earth Why? Because his plan is to dwell with his people. His plan is to be with you, with me, with our city. And one day, at the end, heaven will descend. And all of this will be a new creation. And the glory of God will dwell with us, and we will be his people. And so it begins with Jesus That the glory of God, John says, dwelt among us. And so what does Christ do? He begins to go out and walk around and show us what the kingdom of God looks like. So what does he start doing? He starts walking around. He's touching people. The kingdom of God is at hand. You're touching me. You're touching heaven. You're touching the kingdom of God. He begins to show us what it looks like. Is there any sin in heaven? No. So what does he do to the paralytic man? Your sins are forgiven. Is there any sickness, disease, death, mourning, sadness in heaven? No. So what does he do? Lazarus, get up. Lame man, get up. Blind person, see. Deaf, hear. Mute, speak. Demon, get out. Why? Because none of that's present in the kingdom of God. And Christ is showing us and demonstrating what the kingdom of God looks like. What his plan is. His plan is to dwell and to be with us. To be our God, we would be his people. He's taking his disciples around. Watch what I do. Kingdom of God. Now you try it. Kingdom of God. All right, let's talk about that. He went out and modeled it, he demonstrated it. They struggled. One of my favorite prayers of Jesus Oh, how much longer do I have to put up with you? Moses prayed that. God, just kill me. Please kill me. I'm tired of dealing with your people. He got frustrated, not in sin, but in reality. But he labored, he coached, he equipped, he empowered. He saw his disciples stumbling along, but trusting in him. We saw it in the people that he met. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. How many of you pray that 50 times a day? I do. I believe in you, Lord, but, Jesus, louise, help me in my unbelief. And he finally moves to this place where he says, all right, mission accomplished. We're good. Disciples must be freaking out. uh Wait, so you're leaving us? Its better that you go? How many of us wish Jesus was just here right now? right? Giving us the vision for our church, leading our ministries? Jesus turned to us and said, "No, it's better that I go." Because here's what He's doing. Jesus is multiplying His movement. God is continuing to enter into His creation. And dwell with us. Where did God dwell in the Old Testament? In the temple. Where in the temple? Behind a curtain. Confined to a little space. Back here. Curtain. Nobody can come in. Except for the high priest who had to have bells around his foot and a rope out there. Because if he was with sin... He would be killed in the presence of God, and the bells would stop ringing, and they would drag his lifeless body out. Well, that guy was hiding something. Was it meant that God would dwell behind a curtain? Like the great wizard of Oz? No. Jesus dies, and what happens to that curtain? It's torn in two. Because God is seeking to dwell with his people. What is the new temple in the New Testament? Is it this church and these walls? Is it some temple that's going to be built over in Israel? All throughout the New Testament says, your body is a temple where the spirit of God dwells. And the way that I'm going to continue my expansion on, the, on this earth and bring the kingdom of God about and dwell with my people as I'm going to multiply my spirit and give my spirit to you and to you and to you. And you will take that and you will go and you'll bear witness for my name's sake and you will take my spirit and I will do a work in them and I will bring them in and we will multiply this movement. So, you go all the way now into Acts chapter 2. And 120 people, they're sitting there waiting faithfully. All right, Lord, you told us to wait. So, we're going to wait. We're going to pray. And then we get this imagery once again of fire. And the Holy Spirit, like a rushing wind, goes through this upper room. And tongues of fire descend upon his people. And the Holy Spirit is taking up residency within God's people. That's not the day they became Christians. They were already following God. It's the day that they received the power to continue in the mission of Jesus. Andrew's going to be talking about a lot that over, he's going to be unpacking that over the next few weeks. The presence of the Holy Spirit, right? So you have the fruits of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self control. We all have that because we all have the Spirit. When you say yes to Christ and your faith is in Christ, you are given His Spirit. You are already justified, you're sanctified, you're good. But then there's also the power of the Spirit. That is extraordinary, that fuels your mission, where signs and wonders begin to take place. And we see that happen here in Acts chapter 2, where the power of God, the Holy Spirit, dwelled amongst Peter. And what does Peter do? Now, in boldness, remember Peter, the guy who just denied Christ three times? Got punked by a little junior high girl. Oh, you're with him, huh? He's like, no, I'm not. Now what, Peter, are we looking at? Which one? Guy, like, kicks down the door. All right, listen up. The Messiah that you've been longing for. He came. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died at your hands. But he conquered death. And he welcomes you in. And what do the people say? What do the people say? Verse 38, I think. 37. They hear the gospel preached. Now remember, there are thousands of people that went to Jerusalem. Because it's Pentecost. And it's one of the festivals that required you to go to the city of David. And to celebrate the giving of the law. And when the law was given to Moses... How many people died that day? 3,000 men. When the spirit was given to the church, how many were added to the number that day? 3,000 men. The law brings about death. The spirit brings about life. They hear the word of God. They see that God is seeking to restore and reconcile all men unto him. And they hear the gospel. And they don't shun it out. They don't make excuses. They say this, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, this is the million dollar question we should all be asking. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God will dwell with you. And he will be your God. And you will be his people. Everything you're longing for, looking for, searching for in this world will be fulfilled Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, He will give you His Spirit, which will empower you to live according to His ways and to continue on mission, being an agent of love and reconciliation to the world around you. You have a purpose in this life. God is doing a work in your life right now, not so that you would just hang out with Him and me and God and we're cool but he's bringing us together. And we're called the church. And the church is a place, you look at the end of um, Acts chapter two, a church is a place where this happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. They loved hearing from the word of God and to the fellowship, hanging out with one another, to the breaking of bread communion, which we'll do here in a little bit, and to the prayers. They prayed as a community and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles and all believed were together and had all things in common. There was unity within the church and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. This church was radically generous. You'll see it later on. People were selling their estates and just putting the money in front of the apostles and said, do with it what you want serve, bless, give to those who are in need, radical generosity, and day by day, attending the temple, right, large church gathering together, all of us together, and breaking bread in their homes, our community groups, our midweek times together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God through worship, and then having favor with all of the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That is the birth of the early church. This is what you and I are a part of. Yes, it was an event that happened 2,000 years ago. But we are not reading a book of information. We're reading a book of transformation. And this event continues to take place today. God is continuing to expand his kingdom. He's continuing to change lives He's continuing to empower you by his Holy Spirit so that you would live with him, faithfully for him, and that you would represent him and bring his kingdom out to your workplace, your neighborhood, your friends, that you would pray, Holy Spirit, empower me, give me strength, give me gifts. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Understand the bigger picture. God is coming back. He's bringing his kingdom. He's using you and I I'm going to end here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. Some years later, Paul is writing to his church in Ephesus, and he says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're joined together, skillfully fitted together, not haphazardly being brought together. He's growing his church, not through buildings, but through people. And he's making us a holy temple. This means we are a sanctuary within the physical structure of God. The goal of this temple is to become a dwelling place for God. Happy birthday, church. God is dwelling amongst us, in us, and through us by the power of His Spirit. At this time, we're going to take communion, and communion is kind of trifold. We remember the work of Christ on the cross for us, His blood his resurrection, that forgives us of sin, that unites us to Christ, that we can now stand in the presence of God. The disciples in the upper room, when the fire came down, they didn't have to flee like they did in the Old Testament. They could stay in the presence of God because they were covered by the blood of Jesus. So we remember what Christ did. We look at what Christ is doing today, right now. What is God saying to you today? Are you still longing and searching? Are you still living under the law? Which always leads to death. Pride of thinking you're better than you really are or despair knowing that you can never measure up. Today could be your birthday. Today you could join with the mission of God, being forgiven of your sins, receiving the spirit to live with him. And today is the day you put faith in Christ. We welcome you to the table. If not, continue to just observe. And lastly, we anticipate what God is doing. God is coming back. He's bringing his kingdom. and He's using you and I to do that. So be faithful to the mission and to the call that God has placed upon your life.